Hello and welcome to Making Waves with me, Rowan Henthorne. And me, Aaron Ibanez. So in this series we'll be exploring all things ocean. And talking to the movers and shakers, the ocean explorers and the characters that are driven to make a difference in this watery world. So drop in and join us for this six-part series of Stories from the Sea. Was that too friendly? Do I need to be more serious? No, I like the friendliness. <laughs> take two. Okay, take two. Hello, you're listening to Making Waves. Um, first episode, the love episode. Any particular reason why we're going straight off the bat to, to love? Purely for ratings. No, I'm joking. Um, because the weird and wonderful world of love in the ocean is probably quite a good place to start. Yeah, Valentine's Day is a day that's bypassed me for the majority of my life. Um, but it, particularly now, though, I feel like it's good to bring it into focus and kind of re-hone it for the sake of the environment. So we went down to Perwick Bay, which is just around the corner from Port St. Mary, just as the, the wind and the gusts from Storm Kira were picking up. And we caught up with some old friends of yours from the Manx Baskin Shop walk. Yeah, it was amazing, and it's great to have Jackie and Graham on our first episode because they are a couple working together for the ocean, so it fits really well. And they've just released a paper, a genetics paper actually, that um, has found that basking sharks actually hang out with family members and, in effect, their loved ones, which Mm. is really interesting because normally sharks don't do that. Um, so we talk a bit about that in the episode. Yeah, and it kind of dispels that image that they have of being these really sort of solitary creatures as well, I guess. Yeah, so it all fits with the love theme that we've got today. So, ahead of this episode, you've been doing some research, you've got some interesting... Uh, little factoids about... There's a lot of weird stuff going on in that ocean. Okay, tell me about some. Okay, so Persian carpet flatworms are um, hermaphrodites and they have two penises. Oh, you've gone straight for it, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) If 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 a flatworm meets his fellow flatworm, they battle it out with their penises. They basically have a penis duel because one wants to inseminate the other without becoming impregnated that's just that's outrageous okay so we've basically made the first episode um xxx rated so we may have to put a disclaimer on this for any younger listeners yeah it's weird Um, anything a little you know anything a little bit more romantic perhaps okay so romance um seahorses spend two days also hermaphroditic is that right no uh no there's male and females okay um but the males carry the babies they spend when once they meet each other, they spend two days in a courtship dance um, with one another, with their tails wrapped around each other, just dancing, gazing into each other's eyes. So a proper a proper dance. So there's no actual love making. There's no none of that stuff going on. I don't just... think so. I think it's I think it's just a courtship thing. I think it's wow. to say, hey, I've met you. You're nice. <laughs> yeah, right. And um and then once the male does become pregnant, the female will meet him every morning for a morning ritual just to check up and say hey how you doing that was really great the other night <laughs> <laughs> fabulous um one more before we go and okay. speak to our uh, lovely guest into the deep ocean now 
to um, the anglerfish, you know, the anglerfish with the big... Um, bobbly, bobbly light. light. Yeah. Scary face. Um, but I guess it doesn't matter down there because it's so dark. But um, the male, <laughs> male anglerfish is born with um, one thing on his mind and that's to find himself a female... And he's a lot smaller than the female. And once he does find her, he attaches himself on. So he's he's basically like a parasite. And um, he releases this enzyme into the female. And it means that the, she shares all of her nutrients with him. In return, he does share sperm. So I guess it's not mm. entirely one-sided, but it does seem she like... Gets, she gets children out of it, but... We're unable to verify whether this is a consensual act as well, aren't we? Yeah, I'm not sure. No rules in the deep ocean. It could be up to eight males and one female. Mm-hmm. So it does seem a little biased towards the male, if I'm honest. I think right. it does seem a bit like the woman's got a lot to do there. But yeah, just very weird stories from the ocean. And it's probably made me sound really weird and perverted. And I'm not. It's just that the ocean is weird and perverted. Making waves, resident marine scientist Rowan Henthorne, everyone. Mm. And then, <laughs> And um, I'm going to regret this. (laughs) And now our first feature of the of the series, which is really exciting. um, Graham and Jackie Hall of the Manx Baskin Shark Watch um, over to Perwick Bay, just as the storm's starting to whip up. Let's let's uh, give it a listen. Yeah. Cue country music. music. Yeah. Trust me. (laughs) It's going to work. Welcome to Making Waves. Country edition. So you've been here before, have you? Oh yeah. Like I, I um, volunteered for a whole summer with them. So I spent like the whole summer out on the boat. Oh, it was like probably one of the worst years for basking sharks. Oh. So like, literally spent probably hundreds and hundreds of hours out at sea, staring at nothing. Big swells over Perwick Bay. That is, that is Perwick Bay. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Fabulous. Nice this is uh, covered in man glitter. Oh, I love it. Storm <laughs> Kira. It's uh, it's getting up there. It, it is. What a great spot to look at the waves oh, coming in. Yeah. One day we were out, and a crew from the BBC were making a film. And they had a small inflatable, and they were about 50 yards, and the radio crackled, and Doug said, Graham, there's a, there's a shark coming your way, you should have a look at this one. And, and it was a tiny fin. It, it only seemed to stick out the water by about six inches. And this thing came closer and closer and closer, and it was the biggest animal. It, you've got no idea how big it was. It came broadside to the boat, and it was almost silver. It had to be 10 metres. It was huge. It was absolutely vast. And it just came to the boat and slowly went down and went under the boat. Didn't touch us at all. <gasps> and there was just the silence on the boat because he's, my word, look at the size of it. People are awestruck by it. Awestruck. Yeah. I mean, these yeah. are such big, big, big animals. And there's something incredibly intimidating about being, I mean, on a boat, you're not in your natural environment, are you? No. You see these no. huge creatures coming towards you. And you do have a moment though in your head. It's just me on a boat and this very large yeah. creature coming towards us. And, and of course, you know, sharks, you know, mostly sharks are predatory, aren't they? You know, and, and there's something primal in, our, primal in our being 
that, that freezes when a big predator comes for you. The fact this one isn't going to eat you, you can't just register it first. Mm -hmm. You know, they're so big that I think the shock of seeing one coming right at you is, oh. is quite amazing. And it is truly incredible how big these creatures get on a, on a diet of, of plankton, plankton yeah. of microscopic animals. It's a lot of it. Graham, um, basking shark, Captain Sharky, isn't actually your first profession, is it? No. <laughs> it's a ladder profession. I used to be in industry, and I am an engineer by training. So that's, that's been really useful, actually, because we've been able to, you know, fashion things that work. Graham and I met, marine biologist, engineer, and neither one of us could have done this project by ourselves. So it was a real coming together, a we love needed affair. Each other. Well, we couldn't have done this work without each other. And anybody who's been out on the boat with us knows it's ding dong. Who's in charge while you're on the boat, you know? <laughs> it depends what, well, Graham knows he's in charge. I don't know if I'd want to answer that question. No, Having no. spent a whole season with you guys. Yes. <laughs> and survived, and you're still talking to us. And I still love you both. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> actually, it's quite interesting because she inadvertently volunteered to do um, a kind of a, a sighting scheme. Once we had a couple of years of results, it became obvious that there was a hotspot here. So that attracted scientists, it attracted film crews. So instead of just being a casual observer, I got sucked into this project. So instead of just going out for nice days on the boat and going, ho ho, there's a shark. Um, we then got more involved. Can you remember the first time you seen a basking shark in Manx waters? In Manx waters, yes, yeah, very clearly. Um, um, we were, I was on the rocks actually here with Jackie's father and there's some flat rocks down, just down from the house here. And we were fishing for, for Calig out of the, uh, you know, off, off the edge. And this huge fin just came up about, I don't know, 20 feet from us, right in shore, and it came right towards us, and it was a giant shark. And I said to Jackie's dad, Derek, look, there's a shark. And he, he said, where? I can't see it. Where? Where? And then all of a sudden, this giant fin sticking about three or four feet out of the water caught his eye, and he nearly died. You know, it was like, oh! <laughs> shark. And it was this primal feeling of a giant, you know, like a giant predator, really. And it, it came within a couple of metres of us, curled around and went back out to sea. For anybody that hasn't actually seen a basking shark, you know, basking sharks can be massive, monstrous, can't they? You know, massive. What, what's the biggest basking shark Nine you've seen? Nine metres. Maybe a bit bigger, actually. Nine metres long. So we're talking about the size of like a, a single deck, the length of a single deck of bus. Is that well, sort nine of... metres is, yeah, it's a good length. Um, it's a big old thing. Yeah, probably the size of a good truck. Yeah, yeah. right. I'd say yeah, yeah. a good, really good. Yes. And and the interesting thing is the very big ones that are very bulky are quite pale, aren't they? Mm. They they have a different look about them, or a bit like me, darling, grey hair. Veterans. Um, veterans. Veterans. Yes. yes. Well, I think that's a good way to put it. Actually, you know, maybe it's quite dangerous being a big animal at sea. You know, with all the nets and the possibilities of being by caught or shot by a harpoon and you know harvested for your oil and all that so all the things that have gone on in the lifetime of a big shark you know so big ones are quite rare I think. very rare on the topic of 
love and relationships that you guys have just published a <laughs> fantastic paper that actually talks about basking sharks somewhat hanging out with their loved ones. Hanging out with family groups, yes. Um, so this paper, we, Max Basking Shark Watch, provided more than 140 of the DNA slime samples and they had about 400 samples altogether, including ones from the Pacific and uh, America, Ireland, Scotland, and they put all these <laughs> results together, did a genetic analysis of how closely related they were from these different places. And because geneticists are clever scientists, right, they were able to make a population assessment of what the current breeding population is in the Irish Sea. And it is about 385. Um, what, I mean, to put that in perspective, is that good, is that bad? Well, when you think that they used to take thousands out every year in... Mm -hmm. In the industry. In the yeah. industry. Yeah, in yeah. the industry, because it wasn't just Ireland. They were fished off Scotland, Norwegians fished yes. for them. There was three or four industries off the Hebrides yeah. that, that, that hunted and uh, killed basking sharks. The Norwegians came down from the Arctic Circle. So these things were being, you know, they were being thinned out at a huge rate. Mm -hmm. And to put that alongside perhaps other previous estimations, what where, where are the basking sharks now? Are they in recovery or is it...? All right, I would say that the basking shark populations globally were nearly wiped out by overfishing. Um, so by the time you got to the 1970s, 1980s, it wasn't financially viable mm -hmm. to fish for them anymore. Uh, Dr. Les Noble and his team estimated that there might be five or 6,000 basking sharks globally. And then this paper has come up with this population estimate for the Irish Sea of under 400 sharks. Although there are a lot of new sharks being recruited to the population, which is nice because it means they're successfully breeding, they face all kinds of um, hazards along the way to getting to breeding age. And I think something that we've, it's worth having a conversation about is actually what we've done <coughs> as a species to basking sharks over oh. the last mm. few hundreds of years. And, you know, the state of their population now and and that's yeah. largely due to human behavior isn't it we, we saw a good example of this we we took our camper van down the wild atlantic way in ireland and we stopped off for a week in ackle island where was the center of the shark fishing in ireland and someone's devised and put up some boards explaining the entire industry and the numbers the sheer numbers of shark that were taken out of one bay. Tens of thousands in one season. Yeah, tens of thousands of sharks. And so what were people using them for? For, for oil. They were, they were ex well, they started off trying to use the entire shark. So they'd use, they'd try to sell the meat for dog food, but the dogs would need it. Um, and they would, they would boil the flesh down to get the oil out of it, because it's a, it's a very um, useful oil, it doesn't freeze. So it was very good in, in, in extreme environments, but also great to burn in the streets of Dublin and lamp oil and all sorts of things. May, may I just say that the oil, most of the oil, came from the basking shark liver. That was 
almost completely by weight, oil. oil. And, and it's a very special kind of oil. It's mainly something called squalene, which, as Graham just said, it's um, very temperature stable at very high temperatures and very low temperatures. So it was used in street lighting, um, cosmetics, aviation industry, and I believe at one point even in the space industry as a lubricant because of its extreme stability. And part of me wants to sort of marvel at that kind of innovative nature of us as, as beings to be able to sort of find uses of really obscure body parts mm. on, on yeah. animals, but yeah. to a point where yeah. it's almost, when you reflect on it as well, it's, it's borderline barbaric now, I oh, guess. It's, it's utterly barbaric. And you know, so the, the Irish um, story was a great example. You could plot the numbers taken uh, year by year by year and it was boom 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 and then bust and it just disappeared and even today it's a very rare day when the sharks will turn up in that part of Ireland they overfished them they almost destroyed the entire uh, um, population in that uh, in that one industry and to get back to maybe a lighter area of our conversation and back to the paper why do uh, about uh, basking trucks hanging out with their oh, families? Yes. yes. I mean, it's that's not typical of a shark species to do that, is it? You know, most no. sharks are sort of predatory lone species. Mm. Why do you think basking sharks are hanging out with their families? Well, if you want to think of them as being giant grazing cows, right? Although it's shrimp, tiny little shrimp that they're eating they've got these mouths wide open and they're just hoovering them up and they need to be hoovering them up in the same place where there's plenty of plankton so i guess they're communicating one way or the other with one another there's food over here guys and they're never going to eat their babies are they no. now i don't think there's parental care as such but they are they are born live yes and you know, big. And big. So, they, they, you know, they could be one and a half metres long. These things are as big as you are, you know, when they're born. And they're born into the, into the shoal. So, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't tag along. Uh, and maybe that's got an effect. You know, as Jack says, if they're not going to be eaten by the by their parents mm. and, and they're in the shoal and they're already hunting a difficult prey, it can't be easy to find this stuff, then the best option for survival is to kind of tag along, isn't it? Mm. I guess. You know... Our sharks are global travellers, and we just have to look after them while they're here in Manx waters. Our sharks, the Manx sharks, um, are they faithful fathers, or are they serial? Are, are they sort of serial even, polygamists? What, what, what do not, they get up to? I would not even like to hazard to answer that question. I would um, think they're polygamists. Uh, yes. They're going to be. Aren't yeah. they? Opportunistic. You know, I, I think the biggest is the best in in the shark world. Right. I have a great story about basking sharks and love. <laughs> tagging, tagging them. We'd planned it for months. We were going to tag big females because we wanted to replicate our paper uh, from a couple of years before where we'd tagged a shark here called her Tracy big female and she had gone across the Atlantic right and then nobody had replicated it again so we thought maybe it's just big females that do that so we had it all planned 
They had five tags, we had three satellite tags, and we were going to put them on big females. And we met this shark, a female shark, five metres, wasn't she? She later got nicknamed Margot. And the first day that we saw Margot, Armel, this lady scientist from France, was learning to tag with us. They'd already tagged some over in France, but she wanted to see how we did it because Graham has a very good success rate of keeping these things on. Well, would Margot cooperate? She led them a merry dance and she was curving herself into S shapes. And they're very bendy animals, basking sharks. And I'll swear it was like a flamenco. She was so flirtatious. So Armel didn't stand a chance with her the first day. And my non-scientific interpretation of this was I think she was being flirtatious. And so when they tagged a male shark that was with her, guess what they called it? Go on. Romeo. So Romeo and Margot were tagged that day. So basically she, she was just shaking it in on, under the water. She and just, was certainly she, just, yeah totally was she was beautiful you could practically sort of smell the estrogen coming off this animal <laughs> um, she was like i am so gorgeous you can come towards me but only if you try very hard <laughs> sharks are covered in a uh, in a fine black slime and there's a lot of it on the fin and so if you just touch it with with the scrubby pad you get a big lump of goo on this on the, um, on the scrubby pad and why do they have slime? Is it for like, antimicrobial or they don't really... Ask the expert, but... Uh... Well, I suspect that there is an antimicrobial role and an anti-fouling role for the, um, the skin slime on the basking sharks. It's really quite noxious stuff. And also, you know, for, for um, I, I don't know, for perhaps gliding through the water with efficiency yes. as well. So yeah. it would have a number of reasons to have it I would Because that's so interesting because I don't think a lot of whales don't have that do they because they get fouled by sort of barnacles Mizzou. and yeah. remora, yeah. well, remora I don't know and you don't really see that so much on I mean do remoras go into basking sharks? No but we do have the uh, the uh, the eels yeah you know the, 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 the head sucking yeah so the lampreys the big yes, lampreys and you know the, the, they do attach on but you don't see any fouling no and you know that's quite an interesting point, isn't it? Because the big whales are always covered in barnacles and yeah. you know, all sorts of things growing on them. Really, we of course get the lampreys that are sucked on to the skin, and they're eating the skin and the mucus that we are trying to collect for DNA. Um, and you can see great white patches. So that's like a bit of a love bite. It Perhaps. is like a bit of a love bite. <laughs> but I don't know as many love references as There's we can. There's not much love in that bite. Though, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> no. it, it, it doesn't harm it by any chance, does it? It's, um, not... it's not very good for it because sometimes they, you can see the blood. So it's gone right the way through the slime, the scales, ah, right, to the good. under layer and it looks sore. Do you think that's why they're... Um... They breach when they, do you think they're trying to sort of go well? There are lots of theories about why they breach. Um, the most common one is thinking that it's signaling, I am here, right? So, acoustic signaling. Certainly, single sharks do that right at the beginning of the season when they arrive here. But the most 
obvious reason for basking sharks breaching is you see multiple breaches during courtship behavior. Sorry, putative courtship behavior. Mm -hmm. um, you see them breaching several times in a row when there's groups of sharks exhibiting lots of courtship behavior, close following, uh, parallel swimming, um, going round and round in a circle in groups of three sharks on, on the surface. So we see all this courtship behavior and breaching is a, an obvious part. So much more in impressive in a way to throw yourself into a whole another medium <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny we some years ago we were tracking a, sh a shoal of sharks and we, we picked them up around about Port Erin and we drifted north with them on the on the uh, uh, outgoing tide right up to Peel we sampled maybe 14 or 15 sharks and they were all male every one of them there wasn't a female in and the whole thing was very passive and very calm. Big sharks too, really big sharks, but they're just... Seven, eight meters long. They, they didn't give a dash about anything. And a couple of days later, a couple of females had joined the pack and it was a different story altogether. It's obviously, you know, there's a selection, isn't there, in the breeding thing, I guess. And then there was competition and the whole thing became really quite uh, tense, I suppose. That uh, and, and there was a lot of close following, nudging, tail thrashing, jumping out the water. Um, so I guess it is all to do, like a lot of animals, when there's a female ready to mate, and there's a couple of dozen guys down there, there's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a dance-off for them. Yeah, masculinity in the natural world doesn't seem to be quite subtle, does it? it seems no, to be it's quite, it's quite rowdy. Quite, quite rowdy, yeah. Quite, yes, rowdy. <laughs> now here comes the sad news, right? 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9. We had hundreds of reports every year. I think the peak was 2008 when I was overwhelmed by reports. Now, reports don't equate to sharks because you might have 10 reports or 15 reports about the same shark. Last year, do you know how many sharks I saw? I saw two sharks last year. I saw one for about 10 minutes at a distance and one while I was in the Sound Cafe for 10 minutes from a distance. The last three years, we've hardly had any basking sharks here. Now, trying to tease out what's caused that decline in numbers in our waters very hard because you've got natural variation year to year. Then you have the sea warming, global climate change question, you know, Water's too warm for their favourite food. You didn't see much plankton, did you, no. the last couple of years? The seas are changing, aren't they? The seas, the seas are, are changing. changing. We're yeah. not getting the, seas, no. the seasons of the sea the same as we were, we're once. absolutely not, that's right. So the food is still there, but it's much further north. So our scientific colleagues um, from Exeter University, who are still tagging and working with basking sharks, up in northwest Scotland, in Mull, around that area, they're still getting reasonable numbers, but for whatever reason, we're hardly seeing any at all the last three years mm. here in Max Waters, which is very sad for all those enthusiastic people looking. And the endless phone calls, Jackie, where are the sharks? Graham, as an engineer, has some very stern questions, don't you, about power lines. 
because basking mm. sharks do not like electrical mm. signals. And one of the things that you know that we've observed, we've observed a number of things which you can't say are scientific fact, but these things are detecting millivolts. And because they have these huge receptors on the nose for finding plankton, and they're working on microvolts, you know, these tiny, tiny voltages, so they're sensing everything. So we know with 12 volt boat motors, they'll just run a mile. With a camera, it will affect their behavior. And it and seems like a bit time. of a perfect storm for them. I mean, and that's the case with so many yeah. marine species. Yeah. You know, it's not just one threat. It's these species are facing, you know, mm. multiple threats and, and at multiple scales, you know, to mm. small scale boats and impact and disturbance yeah. to large scale climate change. And yeah. that's why we've really got to do everything we can possibly do within our power to make sure that when they are here they are protected and the sad thing about the the power cables if it happens to be the case and I don't know I'm, I'm, I think it's got a bearing on it is that it these cables link up wind farms so you know the green push to get green energy is actually has a kickback as well on the environment that we may not have seen in time our our desire for power in whichever form is I think going to affect our, our views of, uh, of what were the most fantastic species visiting the waters. And as you say, Ro, when, when you've already got the food stock moving off and you've also got busyness of the, of the place and then you add in another, another variable, it, it just gets too much, I think. And I think maybe that's... I'm just thinking that actually for people to take something from this, it, it's that we have to be so mindful that we share this planet. Mm. We, you know, we share it. This mm. is not our, our planet. We share it with so many different species that have got so many different needs. And especially as we're, you know, going through this transition and waking up to what we've done to the planet and how we've destroyed it, we've got to be incredibly mindful that we have a space for those creatures and that we take their needs Absolutely. into consideration. And, and that idea of actually we're planning on using our marine space even more for offshore wind farms mm -hmm. and we need to be incredibly mindful that we are taking species, especially species like basking sharks, into consideration, isn't that? That's such a valid point. I, th I think the thing with basking sharks as well as sort of from a, from a general, maybe perhaps speaking on behalf of the general public, is that they are the emblematic species for the yeah, island and I look behind the, the slime here, we've got two gorgeous ceramic puffins yeah. and the fate of the puffin yeah, it's pretty much it's, it's vanished from yeah. the island, and we, you've got a generation now that's probably going to grow up without ever experiencing or seeing a puffin. Yeah, and I always find that perhaps a way into the natural world and a way and a way into the to the living world and an appreciation of that is is the emblematic species mm. is the the one it's thing that sort of stands icon. out yeah. and and gets you engaged with yeah. the rest of the, the ecosystem. Absolutely right. In everything, like working together and working outside of your discipline and using your skills to work with other people is how we're going to solve this environmental crisis okay. and that your union together and your skills coming together on such an amazing project is testament to that and for people who don't feel like they have anything to bring in the world of science everybody has something that they can bring to this issue and in realising that and acting upon it, that's how we're going to change things, that's how we're going to change society. I think, I think we have to do more. All of us have to do more.
for not just Tabasco and sharks, but for everything, whether it's birds, insects, fish, it really doesn't matter. We've really got to come up with a plan that allows everything to share our environment in a sustainable way. You know, to see the sharks in the shallow waters, off the Niable or in Port Erin Bay, or, you know, running alongside the piers here, it's one of the most fantastic sights. It's, you know, this, this ability to be close to a giant wild animal is one of the wonderful things about being here. And I just hope that we can still do that for the next, well, for the foreseeable future anyway. I really hope we can. You've been listening to Making Waves. Be sure to subscribe so you can follow our journey over the rest of the series.